9. 1 Kings chapter 9, that's what we're looking at uh, tonight. We're going to kick off this chapter uh, in 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 9. And uh, I know that it is uh, Super Bowl Sunday, but God's Word and the sermon's more important. Amen? Uh, so I'm glad a few people believe that. Uh, I, I know like sometimes people get worried about that, but uh, we didn't get here just to get out, right? We, got, we came here to, to get in, get locked in, and worship God and hear from His Word. So uh, 1 Kings chapter 9, remember last week, uh, we, we talked about how Solomon told the people, hey listen, God has been dedicated to you. And now, it's time for you to be dedicated to Him. And in chapter 9 of this uh, book, the theme really continues on, as God appears to Solomon a second time. Remember, he, he appeared to him that first time, we'll talk about that, but he explains to him the second time the importance of the obedience of the Israelites and then the consequences of disobedience. And, and truly, living the Christian life under subjection and obedience to God, it will bring blessings in our life. We will, if we're living for God, uh, we will experience the blessings of joy, the blessings of the peace of God. We'll have the blessing of the Holy Spirit's guidance in our lives, and we'll also have the blessing of rewards to come in heaven. Which, by the way, that'll surpass anything that we ever experience here on earth. But our blessings differ very much from the Israelites. Uh, and the result of our disobedience also differs, but the reality is still there. So tonight, we're going to examine the promises of God that He's made to His children, the Israelites, but we're also going to look at the conditional promises that he offers to us as his children today. Now, in our day, we know that very few people, there are very few people that you can trust, there are very few people that follow through on promises, right? Uh, many of us in this room, you've probably experienced, maybe even recently, broken promises. And, uh, you know, from people that you thought were your friends, or maybe uh, from your family members, or maybe even your bosses at work. And let's be real tonight, we also have broken promises, haven't we? That's just a part of our sin nature. Maybe some unintentionally, some intentionally, some for good reasons, some for not good reasons, but regardless, we've broken promises. And then, I, when I think of broken promises, I also think of Satan, okay? Uh, Satan, the one that, that transforms himself so often into an angel of light, he is constantly promising things. He is constantly promising fulfillment and happiness and purpose in sin. Uh, I like what Lou Nichols said about this. He said that Satan promises the best, but he pays with the worst. He promises honor, but he pays with disgrace. He promises pleasure, but he, he pays with pain. He promises profit, but he pays with loss. And he promises life, but he pays with death. And listen, young people especially, listen. You may experience these things for a season, the, the, the seemingly good results of sin for a season, but ultimately it just takes you down a place where you never, ever, ever want to go down. It never, it never ends up good. You may have uh, a good time for a while, but in the end, you're going to have a very bad time. You may have a few moments of pleasure, but in the end, it's going to uh, result in pain. You may have a little bit of a profit and a little bit uh, of, of, of life as you dwell, you, uh, you, you stay in, in the midst of sin and living in sin against God, but in the end, it will only result in loss because he never keeps his end of the deal. He never keeps his promises. 
That's kind of what I think about when I think of Satan and, and promises. But then we have God. We have God. The keeper of all promises. He promises life and he delivers. He promises hope and he comes through. He promises a secure salvation. And like that, that song we sang this morning, he holds us tightly in his hands. He, he keeps us. He holds us fast. And every promise that we have from God, I want you to know tonight we can take to the bank without any hesitation. Because he always follows through. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter uh, 7. I know we haven't really gotten into 1 Kings yet, but we will after this. I just want to look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7. Probably should have turned there first. But look at a couple verses here. Uh, now this, th this was made to the Israelites, but we too uh, can take this because it does apply to us today. But look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7. Look at verse 8. It says, But because the Lord loved you, and let me just stop right there. Hey, if you're in Christ, God loves you. Okay? God loves you because when he sees you, he sees his son. And look what it says. And because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, which hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of the bondman from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And again, I'll stop right there and say, if you have received salvation, you have been redeemed. You're out of Egypt. God has broken the bondage of sin in your life. And look at verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So listen, God keeps his promises. And Israel, if they lived in obedience to God, they would experience tremendous blessings from the promises that God had made. So let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 9 and look at that. And we'll read the verses in our text this evening. 1 Kings chapter 9 and look at verse 1. It says, And it came to pass, when Solomon had finished uh, the building of the house of the Lord, and the king's house, and all Solomon's desires, which he was pleased to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time, as he had appeared unto him at Gibeon. And the Lord said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplication that thou hast made before me. I have hallowed this house which thou hast built, to put my name there forever, and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. And if thou wilt walk before me, as David thy father walked, in integrity of heart and in uprightness, to do according to all that I have commanded thee, and wilt keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of thy kingdom upon Israel forever, as I promised to David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man upon the throne of Israel. But if ye shall at all turn from following me, ye or your children, and will not keep my commandments and my, statu and, and my statutes which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then will I cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them, and this house which I have hallowed for my name, and I will cast out of my sight. And Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all people, and at this house which is high. Everyone that passeth by it shall be astonished, and shall hiss, and they shall say, Why hath the Lord done thus unto the land and to this house? And they shall answer, Because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought forth their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and have taken hold upon other gods, and have worshipped them, and served them. Therefore hath the Lord brought upon them all this evil. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the, uh, the promises that we see in here, Lord. I pray you help us this evening as we look at the promise that you made to uh, Israel, 
And we also look at some of the conditional promises that you've given to us uh, as your children today that you'll just help us. Give us exactly what we need on this evening and, and help me to say what you want me to say and say true to your word. And we praise you, Lord, for what you're going to do in our hearts this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, uh, like a lot of the things that we find in First Kings, Second Chronicles talks about, shows us what this prayer uh, is too uh, from Solomon, or not this prayer, but rather this uh, appearance that uh, God made to uh, Solomon. And I want to go there and just look at this parallel passage. It's it's actually a very popular passage. It probably uh, contains a verse in it that you heard many many times, and probably taken out of context many many times. But let's go to Second Chronicles chapter seven. Second Chronicles chapter seven, just to look at this parallel passage. And uh, look at 2 Chronicles chapter 7, look at verse 12. And a lot of the things that we see here is exactly the same wording uh, as what we read in 1 Kings 9. But look at 2 Chronicles chapter 7, look at verse 12. The Bible says, And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among thy people, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, uh, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will hear their land. Now mine eyes shall be open. And my ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house, that my name may be there forever. And mine eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. And as for thee, if thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walked, to do according to all that I have commanded thee, and shalt observe my statutes and my judgments, then will I establish the throne of thy kingdom, according as I have covenanted with David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man to be a ruler in, in Israel. But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and shall go and serve other gods and worship them, then will I pluck them up by the roots out of my land which I have given them, and this house which I have sanctified for my name will I cast out of my sight, and I will make it to be a proverb and a byword among all nations. And this house which is high shall be an astonishment to everyone that passeth by it, so that he shall say, Why hath the Lord done thus unto this land and unto this house? And it shall be answered, Because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, and laid hold on other gods, and worshipped them, and served them. Therefore hath he brought all this evil upon them. So, this parallel passage, it does give us a little bit different details, doesn't it? It gives us uh, more details, and it's not a contradiction, but rather uh, it just gives us different details uh, of what God had said to Solomon. Now, in any case, in this passage, specifically verse 14, uh, this has often been used by well-meaning people uh, to say that God has promised to us as a nation, America, the United States of America, uh, that if we do these things listed, that God will send revival. Now again, look at verse 14, what it says. It says, if my people, which are called by my name, if they will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, while those ingredients do make for a, a more likely chance of personal and corporate revival, the United States of America is not a covenant nation like Israel was. Okay, He is not bound to keep this promise because it wasn't even made for us. Now, again, verse 14, it's a great, it's a great outline. 
I mean, it's a great, uh, a really uh, good ingredients for revival. If you want to experience revival in your own heart and in your own life, then do what it says. Be humble. Okay? Call upon the name of the Lord. Uh, uh, turn from your wicked ways and seek God's ways. That's great. That's good. Uh, but it wasn't, this promise was not made for us. Now, if our nation, you know, if it was a nation that did love God and they were the opposite of what we are now, uh, we would reap the benefits. We would be blessed. And we would see a difference. Uh, in contrast, as one pastor wrote, they said, as long as the unbelief and disobedience to God's word color the soul of our nation, we cannot expect the blessings of God. But again, like many promises from the Bible, we cannot claim this for ourselves and say God is going to grant it because, again, it was not made to us. Now, we can glean from them. We can learn from them. Uh, and again, it's a good principles that help us, but it's not our promise. I read a book recently that gave a, a good example to help illustrate this. Uh, the book said this. Said, Let's say, for example, you shared with me some personal struggles in your life. And you, you were going through some hard stuff. And I said, you know what? I want you to come over to my house. And I want to share with you a letter that I received from a relative long ago before they died. And the reason being uh, was because the, the wisdom in this letter was very relative uh, to uh, what you were going through. And it would help you a lot uh, in the time that you're going through in your life. And I think that you could just glean from the wisdom that this letter uh, speaks to. So imagine you come to my house and, and you start reading through this letter. And you know, you're getting all the, all the good stuff from it. You're getting the wisdom. You're gleaning from it. And then you get down to the bottom of it where it talks about the fact that upon this relative's death, that this relative is granting me with $10 million. Okay, so just imagine this. And then all of a sudden, once you get to that point, you look at me and you say, Hey, when are we collecting our $10 million? When am I getting my, my, my share of this? And then, of course, I would say I was just letting you read the letter so that you could glean from this relative's wisdom for your situation. And I would tell you, very frankly, that this letter was addressed to me. <laughs> and this promise of $10 million was not intended for you, but I'm just letting you benefit from what this relative wrote to me. Okay, so I say all that to say this. This is how the Bible often works. All the Bible was written for us, okay? But it was not all written to us, right? All of the Bible is there so that we can gain wisdom and understanding and hope, but we cannot claim the promises of the Old Covenant of ancient, ancient Israel because they were not all written to us. Okay, Paul quoted some of these verses this morning. All Scripture is given to us by inspiration of God, right? It is all profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And that verse also, the, another passage says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. So the promises, though, we do have promises that we can claim, and we're going to see that tonight. But Paul made this very clear in Galatians chapter 3. Let's go to Galatians chapter 3. As his children, we do have promises that we can claim. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, and look at verse 26. We'll start there. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. And Paul writes here, he says, For ye 
are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And look what it says. And if, there we see, conditional. And if ye be in Christ, then ye are, the, then are ye Abraham's seed. And look what it says. And heirs according to the promise. So what are the promises of God? Again, we're going to see some of these, but the promises of salvation and mercy and forgiveness of sin are ours to claim as children of God, and also spiritual prosperity are also ours to claim as long as we remain faithful to God, as we will see. So we're going to break down our text, and and as we do that, I want you to take comfort in the fact that while we cannot claim all the promises that were given to the Israelites Uh, In their covenant with God, he has given us plenty of other promises that we can cling to as we live our lives in obedience to him. And it's awesome to be able to see that. So let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 9, back to our text, and look at verse 1. And we'll just kind of start breaking this down here. And uh, it says in verse 1, 1 Kings chapter 9, And it came to pass when Solomon had finished the building of the house of the Lord and the king's house, and all Solomon's desire, which he was pleased to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time, as he had appeared unto him at Gibeon. Now, uh, this was about, seven, uh, about 20 years after Solomon's coronation, and it was actually 12 years after the dedication prayer of 1 Kings chapter 8 that we just got done looking at. And here we see, after all this time, God once again appears to Solomon. Now again, the last time that God appeared to Solomon, he bestowed upon him wisdom. He made him the wisest man to ever live besides Christ himself. And, you know, it really was incredibly gracious of God to appear to Solomon once. And now here he is doing it again. Look at verse 3. And the Lord said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplication that thou hast made before me. I have hallowed this house which thou hast built to put my name there forever. And mine eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. So we now see... God is addressing Solomon, and again, he does this 12 years after Solomon's dedication prayer. He finally hears from God, and God is answering his prayers and saying, Hey, listen, uh, I heard your prayer. I'm answering your prayer. I'm going to do what you asked me to do. And listen, what a joy it is to know, church, that God does hear our prayers. That's awesome that he would do that. And I think it's also interesting that he didn't get an answer for 12 years. And some of us, you know, we wait a year or two for God to answer prayer, and we're losing our minds because we're so impatient. Well, here we see Solomon waited 12 years for him to finally have an answer to prayer. But he tells Solomon, hey, look, I've made this house holy. I put my name there forever. Uh, And he's speaking to the fact that this mount would be his earthly throne for as long as the earth remains. And then he tells Solomon that his heart will be there perpetually. And that right there, church, that really speaks to his deep and unending love that he has for Israel. And because he so deeply loved and loves Israel, he guarded them with a fierce jealousy. He deeply desired their love and their worship. Uh, hence this conditional promise that hinge on their obedience. Let's look at verse 4. It says, And if thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walked in integrity of heart, and in uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded thee, and will keep my statutes and my judgment, Then I will establish a throne 
of thy kingdom upon Israel forever, as I promised to David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man upon the throne of Israel. This, again, is the same promise that we've seen several times before, written in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 17. It's a promise that God made to David. And God lays out to Solomon exactly what he personally must do if he hopes to see the, uh, the blessing of God, if he hopes to experience the blessing of God. And it really boiled down to two basic ex- instructions that we see here. For one, walk before me in integrity of heart and uprightness. Love me. Love me and walk uh, as though you do love me. And then secondly, do all that I've commanded you. And as I've said many times before, church, if we get number one down, then the second one will follow, right? If we love God, then we are going to strive to keep his commandments because we love him. But in regards to this first instruction, God uses Solomon's father, David, as a standard that he should emulate. He says... That Solomon, he says, you must walk before me as David, thy father, walked. And what does that mean? It means that he must live his life and serve God and, and serve nothing and no one else. It's as if God was telling him, Solomon, don't live your life for women. Don't live your life for pleasure. Don't live your life for riches and gain. Live your life for me. That's what God wanted Solomon to do. And then he further explains that he must walk in integrity of heart and uprightness. And these uh, very words are the words that, uh, that Scripture used to describe David, Solomon's father, not only here, but also in Psalm 78. Let's go there. Go to Psalm chapter 78 to see that. Psalm chapter 78. And look at verse 69 to start with. Psalm 78. Verse 69, and, and this is really a great cross-reference to where we're at. But look what it says in six, verse 69. It says, And he built his sanctuary like high palaces, like the earth which he hath established forever. And look what it says. He chose David, also his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes great with young. He brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. Look what it says. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. So we all know, uh, if you know anything about David, you know that he was a man after God's own heart. We know that while he was not perfect, he did walk with integrity of heart. He did walk with uprightness. How do we know that? Because we know that when he sinned and when he sinned terribly, he confessed it to God. He confessed it to God in a spirit of brokenness and a spirit, with a spirit of regret, and he repented of it. He hated the fact that he had sinned, and uh, God, therefore, he forgave David because he repented of his sins uh, when he committed them. Now, it's very interesting. If you look at what the Bible has to say about David after his death, in the place that we've been looking at, and uh, in place that we've looked at before in 1 Kings, God never, ever, ever brings up the sin of David. You, we, we, we always talk about, oh, the sin of Bathsheba, the sin of numbering the people, the sin of killing Uriah. Well, guess what? God doesn't bring this up. Why? Because when God forgives sin, he casts it into the deepest sea and he remembers it no more. It's as far as the east is from the west. And God not bringing up this past sin speaks to that truth. And listen, we all can take comfort in that today. If you have gone to Christ for forgiveness then God is not holding your sin over your head. 
He's not doing that. He's forgiven you. He's for, he remembers it no more. And that's such a hard thing for us to grasp because what do we do? Somebody sins against us, we remember it. We say, oh, I forgive and forget, but we don't forget. But guess what? God's not like us. He does forgive and he does forget. And I thank God that when he looks at me, he doesn't see me for who I really am. He doesn't see me for what I've done. He sees the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't remember my sin anymore. But the fact that, that God never brings his sin up again also speaks to the, the, genuine, uh, the genuineness of David's heart and his love for God. And again, this was the standard and the bar that had been set for Solomon. And you know, this, this bar was not necessarily out of reach for Solomon. It's not like he had to walk perfectly. It's not like he had to be perfect because we know David was not. Uh, but he, if he had hoped to experience God's blessings, Solomon had to emulate and pattern his own life in love for God after his father's. And God, he, he promises that if he follows these two instructions, he will fulfill his covenant that was originally made to David. He would establish his throne, and Solomon would experience great blessings from God during his reign as, uh, as king. Now, I find very interesting that Solomon, he listened to this closely, okay? Solomon could not fall back on his father's love for, uh, for God, for his blessings that he wanted to obtain. And he himself needed to love God. He himself needed to be obedient to him. He could not say, well, God, my father, he was a man after your own heart, right? So uh, go ahead and give me the blessings, give me the obedience. And this is a great reminder for us that we cannot fall back on the faith of our parents. We cannot fall back on the faith of our ancestors. Hey, listen, uh, young people, especially, uh, I want to say this. It's great if your parents are in church. It's great if your parents love God. Well, what about you? Do you love God? You can't count on the faith of your parents to get you to heaven. You can't count on the faith of your parents to do anything for you. Our faith in God and our relationship with Him must be our own. And until it is, it's meaningless. But if Solomon, if he would realize this and if he would obey God, he would be blessed greatly. But if he did not, then he and his family and his whole nation would suffer the consequences. Let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 9. 1 Kings chapter 9. Look at verse 6 and 7. 1 Kings 9, verse 6 and 7. <clears throat> it says, But if ye shall at all turn from following me, ye or your children, and will not keep my commandments and my statutes which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then will I cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them. And this house which I have hallowed for my name will I cast out of my sight. And Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among the people. So God really just kind of switches from the singular to the plural. He's, he's first talking about Solomon and saying, hey, listen, you need to love me. You need to uh, be like David. But then he switches it to Israel. And again, uh, he's showing us how jealous he was of the affection of Israel. As he tells them, look, if you go and you serve any other God, and you do not keep my commandments and statutes, and you will be cut off. They would not have possession of the promised land. They would go into exile. And here we see this nation who was at the height of prosperity. You understand this, okay? During this time, the Israelites, they were at the height of prosperity. They were at the height of wealth. They had peace all around them. He says, if you do not obey me and you chase after other gods, then guess what's going to happen? You're going to turn into a nation of poverty. You're going to be ruined. 
You're going to be a nation full of discord if you turn to other gods and you turn away from me, the one and only God. And this right here speaks to God's intense hatred for idolatry. And by the way, that's applicable to all of us here today. God hates idolatry. He hates it so bad that technically two of the Ten Commandments deal with it. As it says, thou shalt not commit idolatry, and thou shalt not make graven images. Listen, he hates it. And, and that's why as Christians, we need to be very careful to ensure that we are very careful to flee idolatry, as John tells us in his epistle. God, he is always and forever to be Lord of our life. Now, now God says, if they chase after false gods, they'd be cut off from the land that God had given them, and the blessings would be no more. He, he would take his eyes off the house that Solomon had built for him. And he proclaims that if this were to happen, then the whole land of Israel, the whole nation of Israel, they would become a proverb and a byword among the people. What does that mean? That simply means, church, that they would become an object of ridicule. They would become a joke. They would become a laughingstock to all the nations. When, again, at this time, they would be a feared nation because they had God on their side. Uh, They would soon, if they turned away from God, they would be mocked because the Lord would turn Israel into a place of ruins. And then God explains what the people will do and what they will say as they see this mighty Israel turn into a joke. Look at verse 8. It says, And at this house which is high, everyone that passeth by it shall be astonished and shall hiss. And they shall say, Why hath the Lord done thus unto this land and to this house? So again, if Israel, if they were to chase after idols, if they were to be disobedient, they would be ruined, and all that passed by uh, this temple and all that passed by this, uh, this nation, they would be stunned. They would be appalled as they saw this once great city that was always building and always being respected by other nations being brought low. It tells us here that they would hiss. People, the, the, the surrounding nations would hiss, meaning that they would sneer and mockingly speak against them. And they would mockingly ask, man, man I wonder why, why God did this to them. Why would God allow this to the, happen to the Israelites? Why has he allowed them to become a heap of ruins? But they would know the answer just as well as the Israelites would know the answer. Look at verse 9 again. And they shall answer, because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought forth their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and have taken hold upon other gods, and have worshipped them, and served them. Therefore hath the Lord brought upon them all this evil. So the nations around them, they, would, they knew the goodness of God. And you know what? It's pretty bad when, when lost people can see the goodness of God and, and know that you should stick with them. But they, they would know the goodness of God and how he brought them out of Egypt and how he did so many wonderful things for them. And they would know that the reason that God has allowed these terrible things to happen was because they worshipped and served false gods. And this soon would, church, it would soon be a reality, and we're going to see that later on. But the Israelites, they did forsake their good God. They did chase after idols. And the Lord had blessed them abundantly, and yet how did they repay him? With idolatry. And again, we kind of saw a little bit starting with Solomon in 1 Kings 11 last week. Remember that? Uh, The line of ungodliness and idolatry would soon follow, and it would lead to the detriment of Israel. Uh, Soon the kingdom would split, and then ungodly king after ungodly king would soon follow in Judah. And they would chase after false gods, and God would keep uh, what he said, and he would, in fact, take his eyes off them. Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 17. 2 Kings chapter 17. 
Look at verse 18 of 1 Kings chapter 17. It says in First Kings or Second Kings chapter eighteen, seven. I'm sorry, Second Kings chapter seventeen. Look at verse eighteen. It says, "Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel, and removed them out of His sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah only. Also, Judah kept not the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel which they had made." And the Lord rejected all the seed of Israel and afflicted them and delivered them into the hand of the spoilers until he had cast them out of his sight. For he rent Israel from the house of David and they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. And Jeroboam drove Israel uh, from following the Lord and made them sin a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam which he did and they departed not from them. And look what it says, until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight as he had said. By all his servants and prophets, so was Israel carried away out of their own land to Assyria unto this day. So this would unfortunately be the story of Israel as they did not keep their end of the deal and they did worship false gods. And what do we learn from this? We learn that God keeps his promises, both the good ones and the bad ones. He keeps his promises, both the ones that benefit us uh, and the promises that do not benefit us. Uh, just for example, as God proclaims that judgment will come upon all those people that do not repent and believe the true gospel of Christ, uh, you can guarantee that judgment is going to come for all those that do not believe. Those uh, that reject Christ are promised to have the wrath of God poured out on them in hell. Another example is the fact that every believer is promised that we are going to give an account for how we live our life. And for some of us, that should be very scary thoughts. Because for some of us, it's not going to be very good. But you can guarantee whether it's a positive promise or a negative one, you can know that God will keep it because He always keeps His word. And this right here speaks to His holiness and His greatness. Now, as I mentioned in the beginning, we do not have the same conditional covenant as the Israelites. But uh, as mentioned in Galatians chapter 3, we are heirs of Christ, those that are in Christ, that are saved. And uh, we are blessed with spiritual blessings if we live our lives in obedience to God. And this is a promise from God. God has promised His children that uh, love Him and obey Him. They have many wonderful things. And I just want to go to, few, to a few places here and see some of these promises uh, so that we can rejoice in them and be thankful for them and be encouraged by them. And what we're going to see is, again, it's conditional. You do this and you receive this. And a lot of the places that we're going to go to, and we're not going to, it's, we're not going to take too much time, but uh, a lot of these are very familiar. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 26. Some, just look at some conditional promises that we have from God today. And we can find some good ones even in the Old Testament. And the first promise that we receive from God, which is a conditional promise, is the promise of peace. Okay? Uh, look at Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. It says, in verse 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Hey, you understand that the Christian life is a life of peace? It's a life of peace with God. Uh, it's a life of peace in the world, and peace regardless of our circumstances. Yet, even Christians that are at peace with God, we can absolutely have our mind lack peace. Look, there are many believers that their mind lacks peace. Why? Because their mind 
It's so often not focused on God, but instead it's focused on everything else. A lot of people, they're dealing with like a tsunami of sin and problems and it's just flooding their world and it impacts them greatly. But we choose to either rest in God's peace or focus on this tsunami that's all around us. We choose to focus on Him or focus on our issues of life. Now some of us here, and I've been here before, some of us here, we lack a steadfast peace even as Christians because our minds are focused on our problems instead of on God. Uh, some of you here, maybe you're lacking peace because you're so caught up and you're addicted in, in, to social media instead of being uh, caught up and focused on God and His Word. Look, God promises us constant peace if we focus our heart and our mind on Him. And listen, consider this tonight. If you're constantly looking at and constantly watching the news, how can you expect to have peace? Now, <laughs> now I'm not saying we should be uninformed. But come on, church, Fox News should not be on 24-7. If we're constantly looking at Facebook and comparing our lives with other people's lives, then tell me, how can we expect to be content with what God has given us? You know, and discontentment's a big thing. It's something actually that I, at times I struggle with. But you know what we're supposed to be content with? Does anybody know? Food and clothes. Food and raiment, right? You got food, you got clothes, you got more than a lot of people in the world do. And as Americans, we are blessed beyond measure. But how can we expect to be content with what God's given us if we're comparing ourselves with everybody else? We won't have peace. So if you want constant peace, focus on Him. Trust in Him. Meditate on His Word. Live in a state of prayer. Give your mind over to pure thoughts and uh, forsake that which hinders trust and peace in God. It's like that old saying that, that says, you get out what you put in. Look, if you are constantly filling your mind with that which is unpeaceful and wicked and evil, then you cannot expect to experience the peace of God that passes all understanding. And it would be wise for many of us to cut off that which causes us to lack peace. But he does offer peace. And by the way, he even offers peace in the midst of trials and, and, and terrible problems. And listen, whatever situation that you're in right now, and I know some of you guys are in some hard situations, God can still give you peace. What did he tell us in John 16, He says, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. He says, in the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world, Jesus said. So he gives us the promise of peace. Secondly, the promise of rest. And now you don't have to turn there, but Matthew 11, chapter 28, we've looked at this recently. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Christ promised us rest if... We come to Him. Now, we have rest uh, in salvation, but we also have rest uh, as saved people as we are free from bondage. But just consider that. Do you have rest? Do you have the rest and the peace of God? And if you don't have it, you may, uh, may want to consider, why do I not have it? Why, why are you not resting in God? Are you coming to Him? Do you go to Him daily? Do you daily go to Him in prayer? Do you daily go to Him to read the Bible? He promises us rest, but we must come to Him. And not only that, but standing, thirdly, standing against Satan and his devices, we have that promise too. Go to James chapter 4. We'll look at a couple places in James chapter 4. We have the promise of standing against Satan and his devices. Look at verse 7. In verse 7, it says... 
Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Again, this is conditional. We can stand against Satan and the wiles of the devil, but we cannot do it on our own. We can have victory over sin, but we cannot do it on our, on our own. It says that we must submit to God, meaning we must line up under the authority of Christ. So therefore, we need to uh, give our allegiance to God, obey His commands, follow His leadership, and we do this again by focusing on the things of God and being submissive to them. And it is then and only then that we can stand against Satan. It's a conditional promise of God today. Look at the next verse. The next promise is the promise of closeness to God. And let me just think about this tonight. Do you want to be close to God? You can be close to God. You have the ability to be close to God. Look what it says. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Hey, listen, if you hope to be close to God, there's not like some magic formula, some magic secret, mysterious recipe. Listen, just decide to actively pursue a relationship with him every single day. You can have a close relationship with God, but it's not just going to happen. And there are many people that live their lives walking the opposite path of God, and then they wonder, I wonder why God doesn't feel presence. But listen, we need to be walking towards Him. Uh, if we're walking closer to God, uh, then we will not be walking away from Him. And a lot of times that's what people do. They walk away from God. They wonder, man, I wonder why I don't feel His presence. We'll start walking with God again. Again, daily reading the Bible, daily praying, being uh, faithful to the church. And if you draw closer to God, he will draw closer to you. It's another conditional promise of God. Another aspect of that, we're not going to go there. First John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, right, then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But what do we got to do? We have to confess them. We have to repent of them. So these and several other promises of God can be claimed by his people today. And if we live our lives in obedience to him and we draw near to him and we're loving him and we're focused on him, then many of these promises are readily available to us. And I want you to know tonight, we serve a good God. We serve a God that wants to bless us with these promises uh, and more that we don't have time to get into. But just as it was up to Israel to be obedient to God in order to have these promises fulfilled, so it is today with us. So will you choose to live in obedience to God and reap the, the benefits of his incredible promises? Don't you desire to have peace? Don't you desire to have fellowship with God and closeness with him and, and rest and victory over Satan and his devices? If you do, then run to him. Experience these great blessings that he offers to his children. Again, our promises that we can cling to are different from Israel's promises uh, because really in this, God promises to meet our needs and not our greeds. Uh, but that right there should be enough for us, shouldn't it? It should be more than we could ever ask for because it's more than we deserve. But is it enough for you? We just sang that song. The first song we sang tonight was Standing on the Promises. Uh, and, and as I get ready closer, I want to tell you a, a quick thing that I read. It says a pastor of a Houston church in Houston, Texas, he once told a very moving story in regards to the promises of God. The worship services of the church were broadcasted on television, and many people watched those services every week. And the pastor said that uh, one week he got a letter from a young man who had served in the Vietnam War, and this is several years ago, of course, but he said that he was previously wounded and was in a local hospital being treated at this time. And the young soldier had tuned into the service the previous Sunday, and he wrote the pastor to express his appreciation. He said this, he wrote, he sang the hymn, Standing on the Promises. 
He said, I love that hymn. During the war, I stepped on a mine and I lost both of my legs. And now the promises of God are the only things that I have left to stand on. And man, look, thank God for that young man's faith. And thank God for the, the great promises that he gives to all of us. And, and really, honestly, God's promises are the only things that we have to stand on. That is the only sure and true foundation. So listen, tonight, are you standing on his promises? Are you clinging to his promises? Are you being obedient to God so that you can experience the wonderful promises of his word? We have so much as children of God. So many promises that we can cling to. And it's a comfort in this dark world, isn't it? So let's cling to his promises. Let's, let's be obedient to God and experience the conditional promises that he offers to his children tonight. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.